0: So this Ebola thing, you know, it's uh, freaking everybody out. Many of you might remember Kyle Skaggs. Uh, Kyle uh, is getting married to his fiancée this coming weekend. I'm doing the wedding down in Dallas, Texas. And so uh, I was talking to he and Amy, and uh, they were explaining to me how some people are afraid to come to their wedding because of the Ebola thing, you know. Not just one person, but but several. So people are freaking out about it because uh you know, it can be contagious in certain phases of the disease. So Yeah, I'm thinking about this. I'm going so what if I had kids in the same school as the kids who were staying with uh Thomas Duncan, is that his name? The uh ground zero case for the US, would would I would I let them go to school? And I'm thinking maybe I keep them home for a while. Because you always want to be really, really careful with your kids. Or what if uh, I worked at that hospital with people who had been treating Thomas Duncan during his most contagious phase? Would I want to go to work? Would I want to have lunch with those people? Would I carpool with those folks? And I'm thinking, hmm, well, maybe, you know, just to be on the safe side, I would... Just drive myself every week instead of going on the carpool. And so this picture begins developing in my mind about the kind of isolation that maybe people who are suspected of even contact with folks who have Ebola have to go through. All of a sudden, you know, people stop inviting you over. They don't want to hang out with you. I mean, if you're an introvert, I guess that might be fine. But even after a while, if your close friends are not coming around, it's going to affect you and the way you feel about life and about yourself. Yeah. Ebola, this freaky thing. People are going nuts. I mean, honestly, you have a better statistical chance of having been married to Rush Limbaugh in the U.S. than you have of having Ebola right now. Did you know that? A much greater chance of having been married to Larry King. So it's not a really high risk. Now, I'm thinking about those people who contract Ebola, the thousands and thousands of people in Africa who are afflicted with this disease. And you know, if you're, I tend to close my emotions off, my heart off. I I don't think about them in personal terms what it must feel like to be ostracized and isolated and go through the pain and then die. Um, and then I started reading a couple of weeks ago for this sermon today, and I've come to a conclusion, and that is that when it comes to that kind of stuff, leprosy is way worse. Because not only were lepers shunned in that society, but you could live with that disease for Years. Decades of no human contact. No one touching you, ever. Levitical law says that if a person has contracted leprosy, they have to come into the community uh, in certain clothes, tattered clothes with half their faces covered, and yelling out, Unclean! 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 And I'm thinking, What kind of number must that that do on your self-image? You don't yell out, I have leprosy. What you're saying is, I am unclean. Get away from me. Stay clear. Don't touch me. And yet I long to have a conversation, to be in community, to have someone touch me, because it's been decades since I felt the embrace of my wife or held my children in my lap. And slowly what happens is that the disease begins to take its toll on your body. So I've got a few slides and for those of you who are weak of of stomach, um, there's a warning slide coming up here that says maybe you want to close your eyes or turn away while i show what lepers actually look like the first slide is actually from uh... eighteen hundreds and uh... this person has leprosy all over her face or it could be a guy i can't really tell what happens is is that the bacteria begins to affect Uh, your your nerve endings and your extremities and your face and your hands and your feet. And uh, the body sends fluids and antibodies to go and to try and encapsulate the bacteria, to try try and close it off from the rest of the body from spreading. And so these big nodules start to form all over your face. It was called lion's disease sometimes because it made one look somewhat like a lion in the face. And it especially liked the mucous membranes, and so it would attack your nose, and pretty soon the bacteria would eat away at the cartilage of your nose, and your nose would go flat. Show the next slide. And, and it would affect your hands and your extremities, and what would happen to be very, very painful for quite some time while it attacked your nerve endings, you wouldn't want to bathe the sores, you wouldn't want to do anything because it was so excruciating, but what would happen after a while, your nerve endings would die. And when that happened, you wouldn't feel any pain at all. So you could knock your hand against something or cut your fingers and never know that you were injured. I mean, sometimes pain is good, at least as a warning sign that things aren't right. And so a secondary infection would set in and you would lose that finger, lose those toes. Show the next slide. So leprosy doesn't cause your body parts to fall off. It's just that you lose the ability to feel. And secondary infections cause fingers and toes to become shortened and deformed. And cartilage is absorbed into the body. This is what we're talking about today. These are the people who were shunned by society. Leviticus Levitical law said they had to shout out that they were unclean, but the leaders of the community made sure that it was wrong for anyone to even touch you, although that really can't be found in the Bible. Think about how desperate and lonely people felt and how they heaped this shame upon themselves. I must have done something wrong. Because there are Old Testament passages where God strikes people with leprosy because of their sin of pride or of slander or whatever. King Uzziah, Miriam the prophetess. People, it seemed, who were in God's fairly good graces and then all of a sudden because they slipped up, they have leprosy. And so very often you're thinking, "What? I must have done something bad. It's just me God doesn't like. God hates me. And that's why this happened. We're going to look at Jesus' interaction with a leper as we continue in the Gospel of Mark this morning, chapter 5, verse 12. I'm going to take it in chunks a verse at a time. When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus... He fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. One of the things that I want to point out is that Jesus is in a town where lots of people live. And the leper is coming into town which he's not supposed to do, really. He's supposed to stay on the outskirts of town. It took a great amount of courage and boldness for this dude to come in yelling, unclean, unclean, as people scattered in every direction. Some people maybe even throwing rocks at him to try and get him to leave the town. But he goes through all those obstacles in order to make it to the one that he's heard about who might be able to help him. Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he falls on his face. Now, I want to highlight he falls on his face. Maybe he wanted to kneel, but because he had so few toes left, Or because he was in such great pain, he couldn't. He was full of leprosy. He was covered with leprosy, according to Luke, the physician. This is a diagnosis. And perhaps he can't even kneel, he just falls just as a face plant in front of Jesus. So helpless. And he begs Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, frankly, I like his theology. This guy's got it in his head that Jesus may not be willing. He's given God sovereignty in this scenario. Like, maybe just because I want it doesn't mean that Jesus wants it. Now, maybe he has bad reasons for thinking that, like he's not worthy, like he's not loved enough, like he screwed up so bad that Jesus could never forgive him or help him. But he does come saying, look, I realize it's your decision. If you remember from our series on Daniel, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young Jewish men who were told to fall down and worship an idol that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had set up, and they refused to fall down and worship this idol under the penalty of death, being thrown into a fiery furnace. And so when they're brought before the king, the king says, don't you know that I can kill you for this? And they said, king, look, our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we are not bowing down to your idol. That's good theology. Just because I want it really, really badly doesn't mean God's going to do it. There's no name it and claim it here. There's no blab it and grab it. None of that. But there's a holy boldness that even approaches Jesus this way. And he's depending upon Jesus' mercy. Always a good move, by the way. Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am not worthy to even lift my eyes up to heaven, but have mercy on me, a sinner, because you are good. So I don't think this is a lack of faith in any way, shape, or form. And then Jesus does something that's quite dramatic. He reaches out his hand and touches the man. He probably has to bend way down. Perhaps the man had not been touched by anyone in 20 years. But Jesus reaches down, and even though the man is grotesque, He touches him. I wonder what that felt like for him. And maybe he couldn't feel a thing because his nerves were dead where Jesus touched him. Or maybe as Jesus touched him, the healing already was beginning and he could begin to feel the warmth and the pressure from Jesus' hand. The first time he'd been touched in so terribly long For there is nothing between God's command and His work, because His work is His command, according to the patriarch Ambrose. When God says, let there be light, there is light. When Jesus says, I am willing, be clean, He's clean. What must go through your mind as you watch fingers reappear, or skin that is Corroded, returned to soft and pristine like when you were a baby. Because God doesn't do shoddy work. What must that have been like? It blows my mind. One of the spiritual disciplines that I love is putting myself into the passage. And what would I feel like if I was that guy? Imagine taking your face up off the dust and looking at Jesus for the first time. You might have even been partially blind because of the disease attacking the mucous membranes around your eye. Eyes were known to fall out. But with sight totally restored, you look up and the first thing you see is Jesus. Jesus. touch. Maybe Jesus isn't so worried about getting leprosy. Maybe what's going on here is a reversed kind of contagiousness, a contagiousness of, of holiness, of wholeness, of peace, of love. You know, if you're an atheist, you've got to be careful of hanging around Christians. Because you never know how their touch is going to affect you. And there's those open Bibles with those words, and there's other books that are just haphazardly laid on the coffee table. and You've got to be careful if you're an atheist and you hang around Christians. When I was a young person checking out Christianity, that was one of God's secret weapons. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't want to believe in Jesus. I wanted to believe that Jesus was a figment of people's imagination but those pesky Christians were just so nice to me. I kept coming back and coming around and eating their food. There's something contagious about holiness. We are the body of Christ, the Scripture says. We, the church, and our touch can be that powerful in someone's life. I just want you to know that right now. It wasn't my life. Maybe it was in your life as well. And touch is so terribly important to us, even from the time we're born. You know, if newborns don't get enough touch, they can die. There are actually Christian missionary women who volunteer to go to orphanages around the world and just cradle babies who have no one else to cradle them because the nurses are so busy with the scores of orphans and overworked. They don't get that attention. And so... They just carry them and touch them and speak to them. When Mary and I were having difficulties in our marriage, we went to a marriage counselor. The marriage counselor told me, your wife needs 12 significant touches from you every single day. And I don't mean one, two, three, four. <laughs> Serious? that's exactly what he said. Some people's love language is touch, right? So it's even more important to those folks. Jesus reaching out and touching this guy changes his universe, changes his eternity. Let's go on to verse 14. Then Jesus orders him, Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. <laughs> Fran read some of those. These are intricate rituals for ceremonial cleansing. What is that all about? I mean, Jesus is healing people scot-free, no premium, no deductible, no copay. And then he says, okay, I want you to go through all this red tape. or should I say red thread? That red thread intrigues me. There's some Bible scholars who say that there is a red thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation. A red thread dyed in the blood of Christ. You can see it from Genesis to Revelation talk about Jesus there, they talk about Jesus there, and all the way through the middle, you can see Jesus. There's even a red thread in the story of the walls of Jericho coming down, folks. That story when I think about it, it's all grays and browns and dust and it's got that red cord hanging from the window in the wall. And that passage from Hebrews that Amy read talks about this, that these sacrifices are all a picture of what's to come. It's like God's comic book, the Old Testament, is for Christians. It's your graphic novel. It's it's pictures of what's going to happen in the New Testament with Jesus. So Fran read how. Two birds are supposed to be brought to the priest, and this bowl of water. And the first bird is you put the, the the priest puts the sin of the person who's been cleansed from leprosy onto the bird, and then he kills the bird over the top of the water. In Genesis, the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the deep. I mean, that's what it reminded me of and the blood drips from the sacrifice bird into the water and becomes red because the sins of this person who has been cleansed from leprosy are now on the bird and the bird has to die because you cannot separate sin and death in the scriptures the wages of sin is death god said to even adam that the day you eat of the fruit of the tree in that day you shall surely die and so this Leper sins are being put on top of this bird in this kind of picture book form. And the water becomes red. And then he takes the other bird and he dips it into the red water. And he lets it go. It flies away. As far as the east is from the west. Your sins have been thrown from you. Jesus is pictured in the death of the bird. Jesus brings your sins being flung away from you as a bird flies away from the priest's hands. And this goes on for eight days. On the eighth day, a lamb is brought and slain, a spotless, sacrificial lamb. Lamb. What did John the Baptist call Jesus? Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And blood from this Lamb is then, among other things, placed on the former leper's ear and on his right thumb and on his right big toe. I'm going, what is going on here? When that was being read, did you think that was weird? Because I thought that was weird. And then there's oil that is a wave offering before the Lord. And the oil's spread around and then it goes on the ear. And on the thumb. And on the big toe. And then they pour the rest right over the guy. What is going on there? It's all a picture of what's to come. It's Comic-Con for Jesus. <laughs> it's what it is. And... Here's the symbolism. I think you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Now listen to Him with your ears, with your spiritual ears. Now use your hands and work for Him. Do good stuff, not bad stuff. Help others, not just yourself. Work for justice, not for greed. And then on the feet, follow Jesus. The rest of your life, may your feet follow His path. And after your cleanse of your sin, I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and to guide you into all these things. So we're going to symbolize that by putting this oil, this holy oil, on your ears, on your hands, on your feet. It's an amazing picture book. And then the man is supposed to go and do all this thing as a testimony to the priests. By complying with these regulations, Jesus doesn't violate the law of Moses. In no way can he offend even the religious people of his day because he loves the religious people of his day, even if they don't like him, and he wants them to come to himself. And he wants to make sure they see what's going on. Listen to God. Work for God. Follow God. Listen to Jesus. Work for Jesus. Follow Jesus. Old Testament comic book pictures. Let's go on to verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. No kidding. (laughs) I'd come. I'd be in that line. I would make... A beeline for wherever Jesus was if I had something wrong with me. And I heard about this amazing healing, especially if I was another leper who had known this guy from the leper colony. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Okay, let's look at the picture. News spreads. Crowds of people come. Jesus withdraws to lonely places. Wait a minute. Jesus. What if you got there like a day too late? Did you ever wonder about that? You came to the town where Jesus was, and Jesus just took off to go and be alone. That would be devastating. That would be a cause for great anguish in prayer. God, why didn't you... But I would just follow Jesus again. Where's he going next? Let's go there. I've done that before. I've done that kind of thing before. wouldn't give up i wouldn't give up but he, why would the father call jesus away to lonely places and pray when obviously he was having such a great effect where he was why would jesus obey god when he was doing so well with the ministry what i like about this passage is that jesus takes care of the leper and because he's listening to god he takes care of himself if he was god incarnate and he had limits and he needed a day off how much more do you have limits and you need days off At some of the earth, we're a pretty compassionate group, and we expend ourselves for other people quite regularly because maybe you've just got a lot of compassion for people. I know those among you who feel deeply for folks. It's hard for you to say, no, I can't help you. Because I need to be alone with Jesus. I need to refill my batteries. I need to hear His words for my life. And what He's saying right now is, come away with me, my beloved. We need time together. You're going to burn out if you keep this way. Or maybe you're one of those super type A individuals who is always driving, go, 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 God. We're going to make the kingdom happen. We're going to right all the wrongs of society. And you don't want to stop because there's so much wrong with the world. Well, you know what? You need to follow Jesus' example to get away and pray. To be alone with God. The last two years at SCUM, we have begun a prayer focus like we've never done in our whole history. And this is the reason. is because we don't want to burn out. Bad things happen when you burn out. All kinds of of temptations that you normally could avoid, you can't avoid anymore. There's that old acronym HALT, you know. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, I'll say stressed, HALTS, then you better be careful. Maybe God's calling you away to Himself. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to go to the movie, or I'm going to take a day off and watch old soap operas on television. I mean, go alone with God. If you can do it any place in the whole entire country, Colorado's a great place for it. And maybe God will speak to you so that you can hear Him and you don't burn out by doing things for Him. All right. What's this got to do with us? In 2 Chronicles 26, the Bible talks about a Jewish king, King Uzziah. He's a pretty cool king, actually. Did a lot of great things. Loved the Lord, but he got too big for his britches. He wanted to be a priest as well as the king, and so he goes into the temple of the Lord. He's going to burn this incense to the Lord that only priests are supposed to do. And the priests try and stop him. They say, King Uzziah, don't do this thing. It's wrong for you. You're not allowed to do it. And he starts yelling at him about how he should be able to do it. And while he's in the middle of yelling at the priests, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. The prophetess Miriam starts to push against her brother Moses becomes leprous. And in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah, through the Lord's leading, gives us a clue. He says, the way that God looks at us and He sees the sin in our souls, it's like we're leprous to Him. Like we have leprous souls. They're grotesque. They're oozing sores we're missing digits we can't see right we can barely walk we try to kneel in reverence we fall flat in our faces we don't know what we're doing Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured. Your heart is sick. You are sick from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds, without any ointments or bandages. And he's talking about the state of the souls of his own people. It's how we look. And We don't know that we're this bad because we live in this large leper colony called the earth where everybody's infected. What are we to do? We go to Luke chapter 5 and we see what this man did. I've kind of got four moves this guy makes that I think we need to follow. The first is to have courage to seek Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't follow Jesus. You know what? People are going to give you a difficult time when you tell them you want to try and follow Jesus. You want to go to church. You want to go to a Bible study. What's wrong with you? Can't you stand up on your own two feet? Do you need a crutch like Christianity? Are you kidding? You want to be with those people? Those people are so bigoted. They're weird. Why do you want to do that? You weren't raised that way. We raised you this way. We're not supposed to be superstitious in our household. So it comes from your friends. It comes from your family. It comes from all sorts of places. And those thoughts in your head that say, you're an idiot, stop it, stay away from those Christians. They're going to make you like one of them, and you don't want to be that. You have to have courage, like the leopard did, to push through with that stuff, no matter what kind of rocks are you, telling you to get away. Because sometimes it's hard to come to Jesus. It's not easy. I'm sorry. The church hasn't made it any easier for you. I wish it had. But we're a bunch of lepers too. And the second thing that this guy did was surrender. He fell flat on his face in front of Jesus. I remember when I had to surrender my life to Jesus, I had plans to make as much money as I could, to screw as many girls as I could, to drink a lot of beer, to have a really good time. And I knew that Jesus didn't want me to do that, and I had to surrender to Him when I figured out He was real. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Jesus had other plans. I just wanted to be a doctor because of how it looked, how much money it made. So my motivations weren't that great. So I surrendered my life to Him. Like, I don't know. Coming to Jesus is a scary business. You know, He might make you do things differently. But if you're desperate, because you know what a terrible shape your life is in, you fall at his feet and surrender and hope for the best. And this is the great news is that Jesus touches us. He comes and he responds to our surrender with mercy, with grace, with love, with compassion. You can put the word, oh, what happened to the word touch? I forgot to put it up there. Jesus touches us. And this is not something you can control. I mean, honestly, if I could say a prayer and make you all feel Jesus' touch, I would. But I, I can't. It's kind of between you and Him. You know, if He wants you to follow Him from town to town to town, waiting for that touch, it's probably for a good reason. Because you need to follow Him from town to town to town for a while. Because before you're ready to really surrender. The next thing is obedience of the leper. So Jesus tells them to do this stuff, right? Which is pretty long and involved. And when Jesus touches us, and we come into His family, you know what? He's got some things for us to do, and He's got some things for us not to do. And the way we go about this is going to affect the community around us. It's going to be a testimony to people who are watching from the outside as to what our lives look like. Just like the priest, we're going to be looking at this leper's life once he was healed. They're going to scratch their heads. You're going to go, hmm, man, he used to be so messed up, man. He would get wasted every weekend. And now, like, he's actually doing some writing. He's helping other people out instead of just doing his own stuff. This, I mean, you are so much kinder than you used to be before. I remember seeing one girl come to Christ and she was such a biatch. I mean, she was terrible. She was, She was one of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. And she came to Christ and it was like, wait a minute, what happened to you? You... I mean, not only was she pleasant to be around, but her face looked different. There was a beauty there I'd never seen before. Maybe because she was always scowling. But people see something as a result of your obedience to Christ that leads them to Jesus because your testimony affects the community. And the last thing we've got to remember is that we have to retreat. We can't do it all the time, 24-7, 24-7. We've got to get alone with God. Come to the prayer night, November 15th. It'll help put you in the right direction so you can do it on your own, one-on-one. If there's anything I learned while I was in sabbatical is that I was running too much. I needed to be alone with God. And I tried meditation and I sucked at it. Let me just tell you right now. I was not good at meditation. I'd be sitting there with my eyes closed trying to think about Jesus, and all he could think about was the birds tweeting outside or the bus going down the road or the gurgling in my stomach. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing. But I kept at it, I kept trying, you know, and I think that in some other forms, you know, I f- it, it had an effect. I feel closer to God now than I ever did before I left, so thank you for the sabbatical. And I hope that this kind of word in a sermon is part of the result of me taking time to retreat with God and listen to Him. So I'd just like to invite you to come to Jesus. If you've never submitted your life to Jesus Christ, tonight would be a fantastic time. We're going to ask some folks over there in the uh, Brown Prayer Room right during the last part of worship, if you would like to explore getting to know Christ more, I urge you to come to the prayer room and let us pray with you. Or maybe, you know, you've been following Jesus for quite some time and you just want to get into a deeper communion with Him. You've got some uh, surrender to do. I ask you to have courage to come back and get some prayer to surrender to God, maybe with the help of a brother or a sister, so that you can experience Jesus' touch again, so that you can be obedient to the best of your ability and begin living a life that would bring glory to Him. Please pray with me. Jesus, I am overcome by... Your majesty. And then to know that you reach down in my sinful, disobedient life when I think you hate me and you touch me and let me know that you love me and that you call me to follow you one of those marvelous, miraculous truths I will never, ever get over as long as I live and hopefully not for an eternity. Jesus, help us to see our souls as they really are. And give us the grace to come to you because we can't do it on our own. We need your help. We're falling before you now. Touch us. It's been so long since we felt your touch. In your name we pray. Amen.